Would you please turn with me to the book of John, chapter 11. We're going to prepare ourselves for the Easter season. We want to look at the life of Christ, the cross, and what it brings to us. So if you would, please turn to John, chapter 11. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day, the majesty of your word. We could worship you all day long, O God and not even begin to express the full gratitude of our hearts. It's going to take all of eternity just to enjoy your presence and to extol all your virtues and to declare you, to eternally just gaze upon your beauty, O God. We thank you for it, and we thank you that you've opened our eyes to it. So, Father God, would you open our eyes to this word? And, Father, we pray for this world round about us who is blinded by the God of this age, that you would, Lord, bring the cross, the light of your glorious gospel into their eyes, that they may see and know you and find salvation. We ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at John chapter 11, and uh, as we look to Easter, this is a season to gather, and I want to share that with you this morning as to what that means. And we are at the time where what Jesus did was he waited for the right time before he would do his greatest miracle. He knew that after raising Lazarus from the dead, that that would create such a stir that it would cause the Pharisees and Sadducees to determine to kill him. So he knew he could not reveal who he truly was until it was near the season he would have to give his life. That's why many times when he would heal someone, he would tell them, don't say who healed you. Don't tell anyone. Because he knew that there would be a momentum to this. In fact, early on in his ministry, they wanted to make him king. And he subdued that. So you can see that there was a timing in the revelation as to who Christ was. And so at the raising of Lazarus, he knew this was it. This was the thing that was going to really declare that this is the Son of God, the Messiah who had come. And it's funny that the reaction was mixed, that many believed, but there were in fact even some who doubted and didn't believe. Can you imagine that? That there'd be those who would see Jesus raise someone from the dead and not trust he was Messiah. And they went to the Pharisees and Sadducees and told them what happened. And so we pick up the story in chapter 11, verse 49. And they go to the Pharisees and Sadducees and they just don't know what to do with Jesus and in verse 49, Caiaphas says this. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. And see, at that point, they decided we need to kill him. We need to put him to death. And as Caiaphas put it, we need to do this so that the Romans don't come against Israel. Because these people are pretty excited. They're worked up. And if they start rallying around Jesus, and this Jesus gets them excited, the Romans are going to come and try to crush Israel. And we can't afford that to happen. So Caiaphas says, let's get rid of the guy 
that's making this happen so that the nation doesn't get destroyed. What he doesn't understand is he's actually under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit declaring what God's plan was all along. Jesus isn't dying to protect them from Rome. Jesus is dying to save their souls from a holy God. From the judgment of a holy God. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. And that's what Christ was doing. Now, what's interesting in this is that he goes on to say, John tells us then, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Now, John gives us then a commentary of what the cross meant. It was not only the salvation that Messiah was bringing to Israel, but in fact the salvation to all the world, to all the nations. He says to the children of God scattered abroad. In fact, John said later in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 2, he is the propitiation of our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so in this statement, John says that he is dying for those who are scattered. But I want to take a closer look, and that thing just jumped out of the page at me. Because he says this, now who are these other children? In verse 52, he says, and not for the nation only. What nation are we talking about? Israel. So when he says, but those who are scattered throughout the nations, is he talking about Israel? No, because he just said, and not for the nation only. And so now he's referring to those who are else around the world. So it's not the diaspora or the Jews that are scattered around the nation because he already claims them as a nation. But not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God scattered throughout the world. So he's talking about the Gentiles as this gospel opens to all nations. And so what is the cross going to do? The cross is going to gather the scattered. All right? The cross is going to gather. That is the ministry of the cross. The ministry of the cross is gathering people unto Christ. Isn't that an unusual? Isn't that something kind of crazy? I mean, the wisdom of God, right? The wisdom of God that he would use the death of Christ, right? It seems like weakness, right? Paul talks about this. It seems like weakness to the Jews that God would die, but it's that weakness that is the strength of God. Seems like foolishness to the Greeks that God would hang on a cross. But it is the wisdom of God that draws all men unto him. And so the cross, in fact, is the drawing of all those scattered and who are coming to Christ. Now, turn with me to John 12, one chapter later. And in verse 27, Jesus picks up the conversation. He knows he's going to the cross. And so now in John 12, Jesus says this. Now my soul is troubled. He's, he's almost like talking to himself while he's among the people there and talking. He, he says, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Now for this purpose I have come for this hour. Now he speaks to Father. Father, glorify your name. And listen what happens. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. 
I just got to stop for a minute. There's times when you are in studying Scripture, you have to pause for a holy moment. Selah, you've got to pause and consider what has just happened. You see, there's something so deep and reverence, reverential here that Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people and he begins to bear his own soul and he begins to pour out of his own soul back up to Father. And Father is so intimately connected to this because remember Jesus said, I've never said nothing, I haven't said anything on my own. I say what the Father says. And, and so the veil between heaven and earth is just broken at this moment. The intimacy between Father and Son is so busted that Father can't stop. He has to bust into earth. And Jesus says, I, I'm, I'm troubled. My soul is, is weary because I know what I have to do. But what shall I say? Shall I not go through with this? No, this is why I'm here. Father, glorify your name. Out of his own soul, Jesus bursts forth to glorify Father. And Father receives that love. And out of his own heart, busts in and says, I have glorified it and I'm going to glorify it again. It's just awesome of a moment. God speaks into the earth and it says this, a voice came from heaven and it says the crowd that stood there heard it and said it was like thunder. And some said, well, it, it, it must have been an angel that has spoken. And Jesus said this, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people or all men to myself. There it is again. If I be lifted up, I will what? Draw all men unto myself. Caiaphas spoke and John said that he didn't die just for that nation, but to gather those who are scattered. There's that drawing again, right? Gathering, drawing. And so the cross is a drawing work of God. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Now, let's take a little bit of time with that verse. Because the word for draw there is the same word that John uses earlier where he says, no man can come unto the Father except the Father or the Spirit draws him. That word draw is not just coax or woo. That word is to drag Unless the Spirit draws you, drags you. The best illustration is a fishing net. That when you were to cast a fishing net into the water to catch something, then you pull it and draw it out and you draw whatever that net caught. That's what it means to draw. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. The cross speaks to every language, every tongue, all people. I remember ministering in, a, I don't know, it was about 1990 in Russia, Leningrad, Russia, before it was changed back to St. Petersburg. And I was there, and, and I, I experienced this amazing epiphany that I couldn't speak Russian, and the guy that I was talking to couldn't speak English. But yet, I was able to communicate him the love of God by showing him the sign of the cross and Jesus dying for him, and he got it. And I began to realize that every human heart understands this symbol and this love of God. That while we were yet sinners, God 
demonstrated His love for us that Christ died for us. That cross is... It's horrible. It's barbaric. It's a man hanging on a cross, nailed there with blood and death, dying. But that's the demonstration of how far God would go to show He loves us. That when He would come to us, we would brutally kill Him and murder Him, and He would forgive us for that very act. You get mad at the cross. You don't like what's hanging on it. We put it there. We're the ones who did that to him. So if you're angry about anything, look at the man in the mirror or the woman in the mirror. We're the ones who did that. But that demonstrates his love for us, and there is a drawing to it. This cuts across every language, all emotion, that God so loved us, he gave his only son, that who would ever believe in him should not perish, but be drawn, drawn by this love. You've got to do something with it. You can reject it. You've got to do something with it, or you can accept it. And it's a drawing. Now, interestingly enough, in this verse as well, he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. The English Standard Version I read to you said all people. Uh, Actually, there is no word there. Men or people doesn't exist in the original text. What he says is, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all to me. I will draw all to me. And you know what? He will. Whether you accept him or reject him, all people will come to him. And in fact, what's interesting is he says, I will draw all people to me. That word to is the same word with that John used in John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. It's a small Greek word. It means pros, P-R-O-S, face to face. If I be lifted up, I will draw you face to face. You've got to see me. He is the face of God. He is God in the flesh. He is here to see. He is Christ. So if I be lifted up, now you're seeing God. When I hang on that tree, now you're seeing the love of God. If I be lifted up, now you'll see. When you see God, you'll have to gather at this strange sight, at this amazing vision of God hanging. I have glorified my name and I will glorify it again in the cross because there you will see my love demonstrated for you. It's amazing to me. Turn with me to Matthew. We're going over to Matthew 24, 22, sorry, and Jesus talks about this parable of the invitation, that gathering again. You see, he's gathering the children of God scattered through the nations. If he's lifted up, he'll draw, as a net draws people unto his face, unto his being. And Jesus talks about this invitation as well. He says this in Matthew 22. I'm sure you know this parable, and, and I'll read it to you very quickly. The kingdom of heaven is compared to a king who uh, gave a wedding feast for his son, and he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. 
So he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited that, hey, I've prepared a dinner. My oxen and my fatted calves were slaughtered. Everything's ready. Come to the feast. They paid no attention. They went off to their farm or their business. Some seized the servants and shamefully killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to the servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, how did you get in here? without any wedding garments. And the man was speechless, and the king said to his attendants, Bind him by foot and hand, and cast him into outer, dark, outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Again, this parable is speaking of Israel, obviously, that as God had prepared the gathering of Israel, gather them together unto Messiah so that Israel would be the nation used to present the gospel to all the others, Israel rejected Messiah. They killed the servants or the prophets who declared that the wedding feast was at hand. And so they were told to come to the wedding and they rejected Christ. So what did he do in expressing the gathering of those gathered, scattered to the four winds? He says, now go out and invite whosoever will. Invite everybody. Good or bad, everybody. Come to the wedding feast prepared for my son. Come. And so he goes there and gathers everybody by invitation. And the invitation went to who? <laughs> everyone. Anyone? Everyone. Doesn't matter your condition, your station, your ethnicity, anything. Just come. And they get there, and then there's a guy who doesn't have a wedding garment on. How did you get in here? Obviously not by invitation, because everybody that was invited to come was given the garment. But that person didn't come the way that God or the king had made preparation for. There's only one way of salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ, through the cross. It's the only way you can gather in to see the face of God. It is through the cross. There's no other way in. And so in this parable of the wedding feast, you can't get in any other way. The invitation's to everybody, but if you don't come in through Christ, you can't get in because you can't have a cleansed garment because only the blood will cleanse the garment of sin. Right? And so many are called, few are chosen. How do you get chosen? Answer the call. If the phone's ringing, pick it up. Right? I mean, it's that simple. Israel was called. Did they come in? They were the chosen. But they didn't come in. You're not the cho you don't come in, you're not the chosen. Now, there's a remnant of Israel that did come in, right? I mean, obviously, the early church was, was all Jews. They can still come in, but if they'll come in. But how do you become the chosen? If you will respond to the call. And it is this drawing to the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the drawing to the cross. 
Now, the early church began to recognize that. They began to see that, that this cross, the death of Christ, is the gathering process or the net, if you will, that is drawing all the lost unto this wedding feast, unto the gathering of Christ that's going to happen at the end of the age. We are in the time, we are in the season of the gathering. It's harvest time, brothers and sisters. This is the gathering time. The net is being launched and the gathering process is taking place. And Christ is doing this work through the cross. And so we're in that time to invite everybody and anybody in. They recognized that Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council, they realized this is what Amos was speaking of in the time of the Gentiles rebuilding the tabernacle of David until Christ comes. This is the gathering of the nations. And Jesus said something very interesting. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So there's something very interesting going on at the same time. The kingdom of God is trying to gather the people unto Christ. What's the enemy trying to do? Scatter. we got a mess on our hands. Jesus said, if you're not gathering with me, you're part of the scattering. And so, we're in this conflict. We've got to go and gather as many as we can. I don't know how long you got left, and I only got so many years left. I need to start gathering more people. Invite, invite, invite. Cast the net. We need to begin inviting more people into this kingdom. Isn't it something? Come to this kingdom. Come into the salvation of our Lord. (laughs) Come. Now there are those who help scatter the flock. There are even people who say they're churches. People who say they represent Jesus. They do more scattering than they do collecting. By what they collect. They fleece the flock. There's many who have done damage to the gathering of the flock by scattering them. How many of you know that? Those who abuse the people to scatter. But Jesus is here to gather the flock. He wants them to come together. Now, with all of this, I need to ask you something. Jesus said, I am making you fishers of men. We are in the age of gathering those who are scattered. And if he's lifted up, he will draw And that is done by a net. He says, we're the fishers of men. So what is the church supposed to look like? And so I have two questions for you. Is the church the gathering place? Is the, is the church the gathering place? In other words, this is where we gather people together. If that's the case, then the church is an aquarium. It holds all the fishies. (laughs) Or is this the church? The church is not a gathering place. The church is a gathering people. That's what we do. We are the net of the Great Commission. We are the gathering nets that Jesus is throwing among the nations. Now, therefore, go! The church is the net. It's not the fish tank. We're what catches the fish. 
This building doesn't hold the fish. I know we gather together. It's good to worship God together. Glad you're here. You look beautiful. Hallelujah. Nice to see you again today. We learn together. But this isn't our function. This is not our function. This is an aquarium. Good to see you today. Get your fish food. Clean out the tank. Glad to have you here. But if that's our function, come on. We are the people who are the net. The church, the church is a gathering people. That's what we do. We gather people unto Christ. So when he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Who lifts him up on planet earth? We do. We do. We are the gathering net to draw people to Christ Jesus. That is the church's function. We've gotten away from that. We've become aquariums. We're fishbowls everywhere. We've got a fishbowl on every corner. And so people walk by the fishbowls and go, oh, look at another aquarium. <laughs> What's in there, mommy? Do you know we had, I think it was a 12-year-old out here, Last summer, we had a 12-year-old out here. As you know, we have skateboard ramps and kids skateboarding out here and everything before Wednesday night. Kid came over to see what's going on. He, wow, that's cool. This is cool. Yeah, and Pastor Greg says, yeah, you should stay and, and, and come on into church. He goes, church, what's a church? Just another fishbowl, kid. Just another fishbowl. Really? No, we cast our nets out there so that we can get a kid riding by on a bike. Because that's what we are. We're the nets. It's what we do. We gather people for Christ by the love of Christ. Now, let me put that in perspective for you. Because he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And, and I like what Robert Crosby uh, uh, put it. I, I came across this article as I was reading it. And there's a difference really culturally in what Jesus was saying when he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. See, because in that culture, a fisherman didn't use a rod and a reel, right? Okay, so when Jesus came to Peter, he didn't just come to Peter. There was <clears throat> Peter and Andrew and, and James and John. Why? Because fishermen worked in crews. Because you can't work a net by yourself. You work together. The work of a net is a people working together. It's not individual fish pull, Right? And, and that's what we've caused evangelism to be. Now, I agree we all personally need to be relating to people, gathering them to Christ. We all need to witness to people. But collectively, as a church, we don't leave it to the church. You know what? We've made evangelism the church service. Well, let's have them come to church, yeah. Let's not get too, too rowdy with the Holy Spirit, though. You'll scare them away. So let's lighten it up. Let's give them a nice brief message right? Serve them some coffee, some donuts, have them relax so that maybe they'll get saved. And, and, and this isn't evangelism. We are evangelism. We are the net that gathers people to Christ. It's not my job as your pastor. Well, that's what I pay you for. Put my money in that offering, get someone saved. I did my part. I got them to the church. 
the, the church has nothing to do with it. We're the church. The building has nothing to do with it. It's another fishbowl. We're the nets. And so, yes, we are to individually witness to people, but uh, like I said, as Robert Crosby put it, consider this, the difference between a pole and a net. He says this, a pole for fishing is a solo effort. A net in fishing is a team effort. It's something that we do as a people. How are we ever going to win this community if we will never work together as the body of Christ? You know, think about it. Remember the enemy is scattering? How is it that I've got a Nazarene fishbowl on this corner? You got a Pentecostal fishbowl over here. You, you got a Presbyterian fishbowl over there. A Lutheran fishbowl over here. People are confused. I don't know. I don't know. What's the water like over in that fishbowl? Well, they serve really good food over there. Right? The water's too cold in that one. It's really hot over here. You don't want to go there. We're scattered. How are we ever going to win Detroit, Roseville, Warren? How are we going to win? Huh? Yvonne, I said Warren. How are we ever going to win? <laughs> How are we ever going to win our communities <coughs> if we can't even throw a net together? You see, the thing about net fishing, everybody is needed. Pull that net in. Come on, grab your net. Pull it in. Get the net, man. Come. The fish are, get the net. You offended me. Can't talk like that to people in church. They'll walk away. Though we've got business to attend to. They'll walk away. A fishing pole involves throwing them a line on your own. Net fishing involves showing them Christ in a community. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Christ in a community of people. That when someone walks in this fishbowl, they'll recognize, look, we don't live here. We live here. We live among each other. We serve God. And if you could see any one of us, you'll see the face of Jesus. That's what I want us to become as a people. We carry a net together. Hey, I'm losing the grip on my net. Someone help that guy. He's weak right now. Help him out. And we cover the net. And we care. You see, it's a community work. Again, please remember, I'm not saying you don't have to evangelize. You shouldn't witness personally this and that. Pastor said, I don't have to evangelize ever again. It's the job of the church. I didn't say that. I'm just showing you the difference. I have to cover all my bases here. Pole fishing helps people hear about the gospel. Net fishing helps people see the gospel lived out in our lives. This is no easy thing, brothers and sisters. You got to hang with us here. You got to get tangled up in this net. Don't run away too quick. You'll see a lot of problems. You'll be offended. You'll be hurt by different things. There'll be things that are going to annoy you, but we're working on it. We're getting it straightened out, but we're working together as we're all growing in Christ to see the face of Christ in each other. And there's nothing more beautiful that when you kind of help the person that's all smudged up next to you and you wipe it away, you go, wow, you look like Jesus. Do I? Yeah, you are. You're starting to look like him. Really? That's cool. 
Pole fishing is the idea of coming to a decision for Christ, necessary and good. But net fishing is about coming into a community of people. We were baptized by one spirit into a body, the body of Christ. That's what we need to do. This community needs to know that the church is a network of people, a net of people that will draw them to Christ, not their denomination, not their church building, but to Jesus Christ. Pole fishing is the technique of convincing them of the truth of Christ. Information. It's good. But net fishing is showing to them the love of Christ in action. A transformation. Where people transformed. I love that passage in Corinthians where Paul says, some of you were liars, cheaters, adulterers, homosexuals. You were, you, you, you were thieves. He says, that's what you were. But you have been justified. You have been sanctified. You have been delivered. That's us. We're no better than anybody else. We've just been delivered unto his glory. Caught in the net of God's love. And rescued from the cesspool of this death and destruction of this life. Now I'm going back with that net and seeing who I can capture with everyone else. So people see us and they see the net of Christ. They see the gathering of those from all four corners. And the church represents Christ's gathering. Pole fishing tends to view evangelism as a periodic project, something we do from time to time. As your pastor, I'm guilty of that. All right, let's go try and reach someone. We'll go door to door this week, or we'll try to do this. We'll have that effort. But in reality, the net fishing sees outreach as an ongoing and necessary occupation at all times. It's not what we do. It's who we are. We're the net. If I be lifted up, I will draw. That's us. We're in that equation. I will draw men unto myself. I'll draw unto me. We're the drawing. The Holy Spirit uses us. We're the net. We're the gathering that Christ is using in this hour. <laughs> Come on, folks. Nobody else. There's nobody else drawing anyone to Christ but His church. We're the drawing power of God. And so this isn't something we do now and then. It's something we do all the time because it's what we are. We are the gathering, the net of Christ to the lost. Now let me give you an illustration of this that I will never forget as long as I live. Because it takes every hand in the effort of net fishing. It takes everybody grabbing that net and reaching out and drawing together to draw people into the body of Christ. And the reason I'll never forget this is because a couple of years ago, a number of years ago, one of my trips into China in the underground church, I was in outer Mongolia, and we were ministering to an underground church there. And we were in a room that was blacked out. They had paper on the newspaper on the windows, and, and we were tucked away. We could never leave the compound while we were there. And uh, um, people had to sneak out at night to get water and food and come back in. Uh, otherwise, we would be arrested. And uh, I came to find that out on another trip later on. <laughs> but in this one, we're gathered together, and I was with young 
students, uh, I'd say from 18 to 25 years old. And these Chinese students had given their lives, the next three years of their lives, to study the Word of God and to go into ministry. And as we were there, they, they wanted to be baptized, about 25 to 30 students. They wanted me to baptize them and be a part of it. And earlier in that week, I was with my interpreter, and he was telling me a story of how they used to baptize, secretly baptize um, Christians when they got saved in prison so that prison guards would never know that it was going on. He told me how they did it. He said, oh, that's, that's fascinating. I couldn't believe it. So later that week, we're back now with this group, and they want to get baptized. And my interpreter says, I don't know what we're going to do. We can't go outside and baptize. We can't do anything. And I said, but you, you told me about this way they used to do it in, the, in prison. Can't we do that here? And he said, yeah, I think you're right. So what we began to do is they went out and bought a large sheet of plastic because this is what they would do when they were in prison and people would get saved. You see, in China, you put Christians in prison, you just threw the gospel net into the prison. And guess what the net does? It gathers fish. People get saved. And so what they would do, they want to get baptized, they would put a big sheet of plastic out on the ground while all the guards are around, people are looking around, people are just wandering. They would know what time to watch at the changing of the guards. And so they would come by and have buckets of water and just spill them on the ground. No one cares if you dump your water out on the ground. And they'd walk away. At the time of the changing of the guards, then the body of Christ, the believers, knew what time it was. The guards had moved away. They all grabbed the edges of the plastic and worked together and rolled it together. The body of Christ rolling all the plastic together, coming together, standing in a circle. And as they pulled together and enclosed that circle, the water that was on the plastic now became a tub, a tank that held the baptismal waters. The new converts would come into that water and be baptized one after another. When the guards came, they'd let go of the plastic and the water would... Didn't know anything happened. So I'll never forget that because in that little room, the body of Christ literally was the netting that held the baptismal tank. And as these young people... We're standing holding this sheet of plastic and we poured buckets of water in and they'd lower it enough for a kid to get in. And I'll never forget the opportunity to say, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I baptize you into the body of Christ and I would pour them in as the body of Christ literally held the water in place. I'll never forget it. That's what the net is. We're baptizing each other into Christ's body, which is us. The gathering is now. The net is us. Let's gather. Let's do what we were made to do and gather the lost together. Amen? Stand with me. Would you reach across the aisles? Would you hold hands with all those around you? Let's make a net right now. Thank you. 
And as we pray, Lord Jesus, we stand together holding hands representing that we're one body by one spirit and one baptism, the body of Christ.